Are you fun to live with, or are you an old grouch? Do you brighten up a room every time you walk in, or do you brighten up a room every time you leave? (laughs) If someone has just talked to you, would they respond by saying, I've just received a breath of fresh air? Or would they say, it's been more like reading the medical report of the known diseases of mankind? And the difference in that is only one thing. It all depends on just one thing, and that's your attitude. It doesn't happen to be whatever your age is, whatever your status in life, whatever your health is. It simply depends upon your attitude, and all of us can have a better attitude. You know, there's a lot of things in life we can't control, but this is one thing that is 100% controllable, and that is our attitude. There's a lot of things in life we can't excel at. I've given up my dream on playing professional sports, but there is, there is one thing that I can excel in and be a champion, and that is our attitude. So if you need an attitude adjustment, you've come to the right place today because winners have the best attitude. And if you want to win the day, you need a great attitude. There's a reason for that because if you live to a normal lifespan, you will encounter about 80 thousand people in your life. Isn't that an amazing stat? Therefore, you have 80,000 opportunities to help someone have a better day than before. On 19, in 1982, on December the 2nd, 1982, there was a man by the name of Larry Walters, and he was sitting on his lawn out in California And he happened to uh, look up and see a plane overhead, and he was reminded of the dream that he had had because he had always wanted to be a pilot. He had always wanted to soar among the clouds. And after high school, he tried to get into the Air Force, but he wasn't able to get in. He was rejected. He was bitter about that, went into the Army, went to Vietnam, came back. But he still had never given up his dream of soaring above the clouds. And so as he was sitting there, suddenly it dawned upon him he had an idea. And so he took $4,000, which was literally almost all that he had in life, and he took that $4,000 and he bought 45 different weather balloons. And he took them back to his house and he invited a lot of his friends to come in and he sat in his lawn chair and they tethered it down to, uh, actually to his car and to his house, and they started filling up these uh, balloons, these 45 weather balloons with helium. And after he had eventually filled all of these up, he decided that uh, he took a CB radio, he had a six-pack of beer, you know, he could be up there a while, you never know, (laughs) a six-pack of beer, and he took a pellet gun so he could shoot the, the balloons out, and a camera, and he decided to take the trip of a lifetime, hoping that he would just gently rise up into the air and move out over the Mojave Desert. I mean, what could go wrong, right? Well, the first thing was this, that when his friends cut the tethered lines, instead of gently rising up to the clouds, he shot up like a rocket because he had vastly overestimated the number of balloons it took to get up in the air, and he went at approximately 1,000 feet per minute until he reached 16,000 feet in the air. And he thought to himself, I'm in trouble. 
And he wondered what he was going to do. He was disoriented from the flight up, and there was very thin air. He was having a hard time breathing. He was freezing to death. And about that time, the next problem happened because instead of moving out over the Mojave Desert, he moved the other way over the Long Beach Airport space. So a Delta Airport, a Delta Airport, Delta Airline pilot saw him. (laughs) He radioed into the control tower. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but I just saw a man in a lawn chair at 16,000 feet. And then he was afraid to shoot out the balloons because he realized he didn't have a seatbelt. And he was afraid that if he shot out one of the balloons, that it would tip him over and he'd fall out. But eventually he decided he had no other choice, so he started shooting the balloons out and with his pellet gun, and he started descending, and everything was going good until he dropped his pellet gun over the side. So he wandered around up there for a period of time, and eventually the helium began to leak out of the balloons, and he came down. He was hoping to go into a grassy area and land safely, but unfortunately he didn't. Unfortunately, he came down in the midst of some power lines, and he knocked out a suburb of electricity in the, in the city for over 20 minutes. And on his descent down to Terma Firma, he was immediately arrested by police officers and the police officer was rather indignant and he said I don't know exactly what laws you have broken but I know you've broken some and as soon as I find out what they are I'm going to put you in jail and so for his efforts he was forever known as Lawn Chair Larry for his efforts he did win one award the Bonehead Club of Dallas named him the man of the year and so his attitude enabled him to get altitude. Now remember that. So how do you know if you have a bad attitude? Well, there are, I'm going to give you some seven reasons. You know, how do you know if you have a bad attitude if? And here's the situation. You're immediately going to start thinking about your spouse. Or you're going to be thinking about your neighbor. You're going to be thinking about somebody else. But I want you to think about yourself and see if you have any of these characteristics. Because you know you have a bad attitude if you have self-defeating talk. You are constantly saying, I can't do it, it won't work, I shouldn't have done that, I don't know how this could happen. You just on and on, you consistently berate yourself and those around about you. The second thing is this, you're a chronic complainer. Now everybody complains about something, and there's always something to complain about. There's no shortage of things to complain about. But a chronic complainer is one who sees a dark cloud behind every silver lining, and they're just able to do anything that comes up, they're always able to see the bad side of the story. You might have a bad attitude if you resent the success of others. There are some people who just can't seem to agree that other people can have success. That bothers them. They don't like that. They don't want to see them have success. The fourth thing is this. If you dwell on the past. From our pulpit here just a few moments ago or a few weeks ago, we talked about if your memories are greater than your dreams, that's a bad situation to put yourself in. The next one is this. You have a victim mentality. Oh, woe is me. Oh, how bad I have it. Pity me. And you're constantly wanting people to feel sorry for you. Another sign of a bad attitude is this one. If you have a desire to blame others, no matter what happens, it's never your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. 
It starts early when you blame your brother for whatever happened. And then it goes to your teacher. And then it goes to your parents. And then it goes to whomever else. And always somebody else's fault. And so finally, if you have all of these things as part of your life, you have a total inability to enjoy life. Now, isn't it time we stop making excuses about having a bad attitude? Because I have good news for you. The Bible gives us some specific instructions and guidelines and says that we can have the attitude of a champion. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. And it says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You ever read that verse before? He's saying the role model, that which we look to, the person that exemplifies what our attitude should be, is the Lord Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing these words in Philippians from a jail cell in Rome. Carol and I have been privileged to go to the Mamertine prison, and it really, it's nothing like the prisons you see on television. As you walk in, you're on the second floor, and there's a hole in the floor, and they just drop the prisoners down inside, and that's the way it is. It's a horrible situation. And in the midst of this dark and damp situation, the Apostle Paul writes these encouraging letters. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't know if he was ever going to get out of prison at all. He didn't know. But the Roman people thought they had given him a prison sentence. But actually, they had given him a pulpit and a platform and a place to write and a place to hear from the Word of God and a place to transfer that to people like us 2,000 years later who are still bearing the benefits of that. And yet he says to us, our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. No one has suffered like Jesus. His own family didn't know what to do with him until after the resurrection. We know that many of his friends disappointed and turned against him. We know that the religious people shunned him and made fun of him. We know that the political people wanted nothing to do with him. And we know that eventually he was betrayed by a friend and that he was crucified. And yet, and yet, Jesus had the most positive, faith-affirming, encouraging, compassionate, uplifting attitude of anyone that has ever lived. How did he do it? Well, let's look at the scriptures. Jesus had a great attitude because he knew his relationship with God was right. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says to us, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus evaluated every single decision that he ever made in light of his relationship with God the Father. He stayed in constant contact with him. And we know that relationships are the stuff, they're the essence of life. And the most important relationship that we can have is our relationship with God our Father through Jesus. And when that relationship is sound, then we have a basis upon which to have and develop a great attitude. We live in a very negative world. It's a cynical world. It's a hypocritical world. And if you are depending upon the world to shape and mold your attitude, you're going to be very disappointed because Jesus says it's always going to be that way. It's always going to be problems in our world. And even the very words that we use sometimes show how negative our situations are and how negative the world uh, views us. What do you call the thing that you set in order to get up? in the morning. Not your wife. I'm talking about, what do you, what do you call that? 
an alarm clock. Can you imagine somebody names that opportunity clock an alarm clock to get you up in the morning? What kind of a way is that to start your day? And when you're going down the road and a traffic signal, what do we call them? Stop lights, not go lights that give us the opportunity to continue. And when you go to the airport, the terminal, what do they do, sell caskets there or something? How does that work? So the world's not going to help you out in your attitude. But if our relationship with God is right, then everything changes. Because once we get into the right relationship with God, all kinds of, all kinds of benefits begin to come our way. So if we're in the right relationship with God, then look at all the benefits that we have. And the first benefit is this. Our sins are forgiven. We no longer have to carry that burden, that weight around with us, that guilt, that shame. Though we have been buried into the deepest sea, never to be remembered again. And he who the Son has set free is free indeed. That should cause us and enable us to have a positive attitude. But not only are our sins forgiven, but we have the support of a church family. It's the family of God. And as we journey along this faith journey, we have people who care about us. We have people who understand us. We have people who pray for us. We are in small connect groups. I think we had something over 2,000 people that are in connect groups. And those connect groups are designed to help us connect with God and help us to connect with one another. I'm sure that all of us have been in a situation where people within the family of God have been supportive of us. The third reason is this. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We know that when we accept Jesus Christ into our life as our Savior, that the Spirit of God comes to live within us. And therefore, last week, uh, Pastor Kurt said that this is the great advantage that we have as Christian believers because he can lead us and guide us into all truth. And he does that by helping us understand the Word of God, and the Word of God guides us. So now we have our sins forgiven. We have a body, a family body with which to associate with of like mind. And we also have the Spirit of God who guides us and leads us. We have the Word of God. And then to top it all off, when we die, what happens? We get to go to heaven. (laughs) I mean, what can be better than that? Why shouldn't we be positive? Christians, there is no excuse for a bad attitude. But it begins with the first and foremost qualification is to be in the right relationship with God the Father through Jesus. The second thing is this. Jesus had a great attitude because he had the ability to look beyond our faults and see good in every person that he encountered. Romans chapter 5. This is one of the most amazing verses in all of the Bible. It says, God demonstrates his love for us. God demonstrates his, you see at just the right time, excuse me, I'm sorry. You see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? He didn't say he died for perfect people. He didn't say clean up your act and get it together and then maybe I'll let you into the kingdom. He says he died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of the comments about Jesus is that he was always hanging around sinners. But he did that because he could see the good in every person. And he looked beyond the faults of a lying and cheating tax collector named Zacchaeus. 
and he brought him into the kingdom of God. And he looked behind the faults of an immoral woman who had multiple husbands, and he taught her what real love was about. And he looked beyond the faults of one of his disciples, Peter, who had denied him three times, and he forgave him, and he made him one of the great uh, evangelists of our time. Jesus had the ability to look beyond our faults and to see the good in all of us. When I was in seminary, I did a research paper on why do churches grow? Because it was always surprising to me is how some churches just seem to grow and influence their communities and do great things. And other churches just seem to stagnate and go nowhere and atrophy and sometimes just go out of business type of thing. Why did that happen? Now, I know some of you are thinking, wonder what he did that research paper on, parchment or a scroll or what? But by this time, the typewriter had been invented, so you know, it, was, it was better for me. And as I was doing that uh, research paper, I ran across a study that was done by a Princeton University professor on the same topic of why do churches grow. And I'm not going to go into all the details because there were many reasons and many things that happened which uh, were elements in church growth. But there was one particular element that he found in every single, every single one of the individual churches who had grown. And that was this. They all were led by a great leader. They were all led by someone who had a positive, can-do, optimistic outlook on life. Now, aren't you glad that we have Kurt Parker as our pastor? (laughs) Because Kurt has that ability to inspire us. And he is a role model for us as a staff people. He role models that positive outlook attitude. And as a staff, we are supposed to role model a great attitude for you. And as congregation, we are supposed to role model a great attitude for all of those 80,000 people that we will meet in our lifetime as well. The third reason. He not only was in the right relationship with God. He not only was able to look beyond our faults and see the good in everyone. But Jesus also had a great attitude because he always, always left people better than when he found them. If we take a look at Romans chapter 12, you know, I've read a lot of self-help books and positive thinking and all that kind of stuff and gone to things. But this is the single best resource you will ever have on how to get along with people. This section of scripture talks about how to physically and emotionally and spiritually get along with people. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is a tough one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If you want to have a great attitude toward people, he gives us the blueprint in Romans chapter 12. Some of you may have heard of a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar. This is his picture. 
I've heard him speak several times, read a lot of his different books. Zig Ziglar was one of the world's greatest salesmen. And in one of his books, he tells the story of how he got started. And he said he was a young person. He was in his early 20s. He was uh, unmarried at the time. And he decided that he wanted to be a salesman. So he said, the first year that I was in business, he said, I sold everything. He said, I sold my extra clothes. I sold all my toys. I sold my furniture. I was ready to sell my car. And he said, I realized I'm not a salesman. I am a failure. I can't do this. There's no way. And so he went to one of his mentors, and he asked his mentor to give him some help. And he says, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I can't be a salesman. I'm not going to do this anymore. And the salesman, uh, the mentor, said to him this. He said, Zig, you've been looking at it the wrong way. When you see a potential customer coming and you're talking to them, you're only looking at what they can do for you. And he says, what you have to do is say, what can I do for this customer? How can I make their life better? What can I do that will enhance them? And Zig said it was a, a principle that changed his entire life. And from then on, he went on to become a very successful person. And he made one of his uh, comments and one of his, his principles that he talks about all the time. And he said, you can get everything you want in life if you will help enough other people to get what they want because it's your attitude and not your aptitude that determines your altitude in life. It's your attitude. It's how you view things. It's your mindset. It's not how smart you are. It's not your position. But it's your attitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude in life. Whenever Jesus met people, he didn't think what he could get from them. He thought, how can I contribute to them? Jesus was a go-giver. I don't think that's a real word, but you kind of know what I mean. Jesus was a go-giver. To everyone that he met, he made them better. To a frustrated host at a wedding party, he gave him the gift of new wine. To a leper, he gave him the gift of new sin, or excuse me, new skin. To the downtrodden, he gave them the gift of new hope. And to the sinner, he gave us the gift of new life. Do you need friends? Well, when you go looking for friends, they're kind of hard to find. But when you go looking to be a friend, it totally changes the situation. Let's do a wild experiment this next week. I want to ask you to do this. For every one of those 80,000 people that you will meet in your lifetime, when you meet them and encounter with them, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's walking down the hallway of your school, whether it's people that you've known for a long period of time, how do you empathize with that? You look them in the eye, you smile, you greet them warmly, you have no hidden agendas as what you can get from them, and you say to yourself, how can I make this other person better today? What can I do to improve them? And for that moment in time, you realize they are the most important person in the room for those few seconds. If you will do that, you will have more friends than you can shake a stick at. Eric, Pye, excuse me, Eric Pyburn was born on December the 30th, 2006. 
When Eric was born, his parents had the same hopes and dreams that all of us as parents have for our children. They wanted to see him be successful in the things that he did. They wanted to see him grow up and take his place in society. They wanted to see him leave a productive and wonderful life and come to know Christ. But when Eric Pyburn was born on that day, the doctors came to his parents and said, don't plan on having a first birthday cake for Eric because it's not going to happen. Eric was born with multiple issues. As a matter of fact, the analysis of what was wrong with him and his medical conditions covered 202 lines. He needed a new heart. He needed a new lungs. He needed all kinds of things. And his body was so frail, he was not able to accept and to do those kinds of operations. But to the doctor's surprise, he continued to live past one year, past two, past three, and now he is 12 years old. And Bobby Lewis, who is the gentleman on your left, is a reporter for Channel 10. Bobby goes, he's a member of Harborside Church. He's one of our marriage mentors. And he was asked to do a story on Eric Pyburn. And he went out to his house and he said, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew that he'd had multiple health issues. And so I didn't have any idea of what was I going to find. But Eric said, when I walked into that house, there was an immediate aura of the presence of someone who was a positive influence. And he said, I looked and there was this little boy. He looked like he was about six years old. He was actually 12. And he had a backpack. And in that backpack on his back was all kinds of tubes, all kinds of of things that were running to all parts of his body to try to keep him alive. But he said, and his words were, and I'll quote them for you. He said, Eric was a bundle of redheaded, let's see, he was a bundle of redheaded tornado. (laughs) And he said, Eric was positive and optimistic and outlook on life. And he welcomed me and he smiled and he said, he had the attitude of a champion. Since Eric was never able to go to school, he, didn't, uh, he had to do some non-conventional ways of learning his words and learning his letters and learning his numbers. So he watched Wheel of Fortune, believe it or not, every single day. And he was with Vanna White and on Wheel of Fortune. And he had every episode of Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> and so he said, Bobby, you want to play a game of Wheel of Fortune? And of course, Bobby said yes. And Bobby said throughout the whole game, he laughed and he giggled and he smiled and he beat me soundly in Wheel of Fortune. And he said, we just had a great time. And then Bobby said this. And again, I want to quote it. He said, Eric Pyburn is the single biggest inspiration I've ever had in my career. He has taught me more about life than any person I've ever interviewed. You see, Eric Pyburn won one day at a time to win the day. He doesn't know how much time he has left. He knows he's on borrowed time. It could be months, it could be weeks, it could be days. We don't know. But he said, every day I'm going to enjoy what I have. He understood the secret of a great attitude. It's not in what we have. It's not in our position. It's not in our health. It's not in our finances. The greatest thing we can do with our attitude is to understand who we are in Jesus. There is no excuse for a bad attitude in Christian people. So what's in the line? What does this mean for us? Well, immediately after Lawn Chair Larry landed, 
he was besieged not only by the police who arrested him, but he, only, he paid a fine, was released. He was on all kinds of talk shows and did a speaking tour, and he was on The Tonight Show and everything else. But it soon faded away. And he quit his job, and he began to move from that great attitude of can-do into a poor attitude. And 11 years after that episode, he went into the mountains, and he took a gun, and he took his own life and committed suicide. And there are some principles here. You can't fill the void in your life with one thrilling experience. He forgot lesson number one. And lesson number one is that we have to understand our primary relationship is with Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can fill that void in your life. It's impossible to know how many jobs have been lost, how many marriages have been ruined, how many friendships have been destroyed. How many children have been spoiled because of a bad attitude? But for the Christian, it's even more important than that. You see, as a Christian, as we walk through this journey of life and through this faith walk, every day we are going to encounter people. And what they are looking for is someone to give them hope. They're looking for someone to believe in them. They're looking for someone to offer a helping hand. They're looking for someone to care about who they are. They're looking for someone to give and not just take from them. They're looking for someone with a great attitude. The stakes are high. And through our attitude, we will either draw people to Jesus or we will repel them away. I want to ask at this time, if our prayer partners would come forward and would you please stand with me and after my prayer if you would like to come forward and you haven't taken step one which is to get into the right relationship with God through Jesus Christ today is the day when these people who love and care about you are willing to share with you there might be others of you whose attitude just needs a little fine tuning just needs a little change a little adjustment these are people who care about you they love you they're willing to be there where you are to offer a helping hand to you, to pray with you, to love on you. And you certainly feel welcome to do that as well. And now may the Lord Jesus Christ, whose attitude we have all been asked to emulate, may he give us the joy of this day, may he give us the assurance of his presence, and may he give us our hope for the future. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.